This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, May 12, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. The benefits of college for your income are well known, but is that deal changing? And what does a college degree really tell your employers about your skills? Brian Kaplan is a professor of economics at George Mason University. He addressed the question, is college worth it, at the Cato Institute last month. So basic facts, so college grads make 83% more than high school grads. So people have only gone to high school. So people have actually finished college, make 83% more. So this is from the 2011 uh, CPS. Uh, If this were 100% causal, if the sole reason why the college grads are making 83% more than the high school grads were the fact that the the college grads have finished college and the high school grads have not started, that would be an enormous payoff for an investment of four years wages plus four years tuition. Right, that is quite amazing. 83% over every year for the rest of your life, all you have to do is give up four years when your earnings are low and pay tuition for four years, uh, which, you know, of course, at state schools is still, uh, while more than it used to be, is still not that much. Uh, the, you know, the main problem with just naively saying all 83% of the gain is due to college is that college grads typically arrive on campus with big labor market advantages. So the typical college grad was an unusually employable before they actually even started college. So one big difference uh, is IQ. So it may may not be the most polite thing to say in in conversation, but the fact remains that college grads do tend to be smarter than people who were not college grads, and they were generally smarter beforehand. They were generally smarter before they even started college. In fact, you can give IQ tests to seven-year-olds and get a pretty good prediction about what's going to be going on. Not a great prediction, but better than any other one fact you can know about a seven-year-old. Uh, some other things that are harder to measure but still seem like they probably are important, uh, work ethic. So someone who finishes college probably arrived on campus with a stronger work ethic than someone who said, I don't feel like doing that. I'm just going to stay in my parents' basement and drink beer. All right. Uh, and there's many other possible reasons why college grads or other possible pre-existing advantages that college grads could have had. Uh, so I sift through a lot of evidence in my book. And my conclusion is that about 55% causal is a pretty reasonable estimate. Uh, there is a range where you can go. So I'd say that you know, 80% causal is about the highest I think you could reasonably go. And probably about 30% causal is the lowest you could reasonably go. But I think about 55% is pretty fair. Right now, I'd say like, if you go and multiply that 83% by 55%, that's still pretty big. Uh, that's still pretty big. Uh, however, uh, this is only an average, and it is important to realize the returns predictably vary, uh, and widely. Right? So it's, you know, if everyone got exactly the average, it would be one thing, and just reporting the average is all you need to know, and then we'd have our answer. Uh, however, if the, uh, you know, if the, if the returns uh, uh, do vary from, uh, from person to person, if, again, if we're unpredictable and random, then still you might say, well, you, maybe you'll do better, maybe you'll do worse, but who knows. Uh, the fact, though, is that we actually have some very strong predictors of whether or not you are going to do better or worse than the average college student in the labor market. Uh, so one very big factor is your choice is your college major. Uh, now here, again, when you go into and compare students with different majors, there is also an ability problem, namely that the high-ability students tend to also do the hard majors that pay well. Uh, here is a fact that always amuses me. Engineering majors not only have higher quantitative SAT scores than English majors, they have higher verbal scores than English majors. So the engineering majors start with some substantial academic advantages over English majors, uh, which means that when you correct for ability, the high-earning majors are going to seem less amazing in their earnings, and the low-earning and the low earning majors are going to seem less abysmal 
because it is generally the students with lower scores who are going into the lower earning majors. Uh, so there is a substantial literature where, where economists try to look at the return by major and adjust for it. Uh, one of my favorite pieces by, is by Altanji, some co-authors in 2012. And uh, what you get from this is if you do, if you correct for ability, the education premium uh, you know, varies from something like plus 24% for, for education majors. So getting a bachelor's degree in education looks like adjusting for all the other stuff we can figure out uh, will raise earnings by about 24%. Whereas getting a, uh, we're getting a bachelor's degree in engineering looks like it's going to increase your earnings by about 60%, over and above whatever advantages that you brought to the table or didn't bring to the table. Uh, so that's one very big factor, uh, which is well worth knowing. Uh, another big factor, though, uh, which has been studied every now and then, but it's only recently that there is now a big cluster of working papers where economists are taking this seriously, uh, is graduation probability. Graduation probability also depends very heavily on pre-college academic performance. Okay, so think about this. Suppose that you're a bank and you are making loans and you're charging 10% interest. You would not want to then say, we, we, go, we went and took a look at the loans that were repaid and we made 10% per the contract, so we get a 10% rate return out of, the, out of lending out these funds. Right? But what about the loans that don't get repaid? What if, well, it's only like 5%, so that doesn't matter much, does it? If 5% of your loans are not repaid at all and you get 10% interest on the other 95%, what is your return? It's not 10%, it's 5%. So, you're, so it actually, that actually, so that small default probability cuts the bank's rate of return in half. Right, now, you think about non-completion as being the academic equivalent of defaulting on a loan, where you put in the expenses, you put in your time, you put in your tuition, but you don't actually get the, the, the education successfully completed. And then you presumably don't get the labor market reward. All right, so this is a graph out of an AER piece by Bounding co-authors in 2008. This shows eight-year graduation rates by high school math ability. So this is your probability of finishing college eight after eight years. Okay, so that is you know, a fairly generous time to completion for, for four-year degrees. All right now, this shows, first of all, data from the NLS in 1972, but then also from the more recent stuff from 1988. And I believe both of these cases, this, yeah, so this is, the, you know, the data was collected first in that year, and then you're taking a look at their completion, completion probability four years later, so this, or eight years later. So this is comparing the 1980 numbers to the 1996 numbers. All right, so if you take a look at that top quartile of mathematical ability, uh, there you've got about a, you know, so in, like, in the early period, about a 67% chance of finishing your degree within, uh, within eight years, 73% chance of finishing it uh, nowadays. All right, go down to that third quartile. So these are people in the 50th, 51st to 75th percentiles of math performance in high school. Then we're down to just a little bit under 50%. Uh, then we go down to that second quartile, which actually, is, you know, your chance of, of trying to go to college in that second quartile now is pretty substantial. Uh, but here now the uh, completion probability in more recent years is about 30% for people like that. And then finally we get down to the bottom quartile of mathematic ability and we're talking 11%. This is out of people who start. So the people who try to get a college degree who are in the bottom quartile of math ability in high school have only about an 11% chance of actually getting over the finish line. Uh, now you, know, you might say, well, it's not so important whether you finish or not. You get some time, you get some payoff. Uh, this is where another very, uh, major empirical finding plays a key role. This is called the sheepskin effect. Uh, it is called this because in olden days, diplomas were written on the skins of sheep. Okay, so you would actually get a diploma which was written on a sheepskin. Uh, so when economists have taken a look to see, well, why exactly does college give you this 83% payoff? Is it like one quarter per year of college? Or is it less for the early years and then a big payoff for crossing the finish line? And the answer is for college, about 70% comes from finishing your senior year. 
So the actual payoff for those first three years is quite small. And it's really getting over the finish line that matters. So when you see that students in the bottom quartile of mathematical ability only have an 11% chance and only 11% completion chance, that means that they are probably getting almost no financial payoff out of college. Um, now the question here is, so why is college so lucrative? Right, so you know, college seems to be a very good deal for students in the top levels of academic ability in high school because, you know, they, of course, they are, they're very likely to finish, they're likely to do the harder majors, put it all together, and it looks like they are doing very handsomely for themselves. Uh, but then you also notice that like, even people who are doing the easier majors, as long as they finish, seem to be doing quite well. So why would that be? Why exactly is college so lucrative? There is a standard view that economists believe almost instinctively. This is what, I, what you can call the human capital view, and that is that college instills a ton of job skills. So if you were to believe that 83% gain that you, that you would naively think from just looking at the raw numbers, say, well, what happens? You go and take a student, you send him to college, and then professors lecture him for four years, and as a result, he's 83% more productive on the job. That is a story that you could tell. Now, if you've actually experienced college, and I suspect everyone in this room has experienced some college, it is very hard to believe this story. Uh, most majors, even lucrative majors like econ, are not remotely vocational. So yeah, there's engineering, there's computer science, those are only a few, those are only a few percentage points of total majors. You know, and why are why so few people do engineering computer science? Well, if you do those majors, you don't really get to go to college. If you do those majors, you're working really hard for four years, not seeing the light of day. Whereas if you do another major, you know, like say you do econ, which I like to tell my students is the highest paid of all the easy majors, then you can have a four-year party. Well, yes, you go and you, yes, you go to classes for a few hours a week, do a little homework, study for exams, and the rest of the time you just enjoy yourself, enjoy life, which the engineering majors don't get to do. At least according to my dad, who was an engineering major. All right, so most majors are not, even, are, are not remotely vocational. Economics, I would say, the only plausible vocational skills that we teach students who don't want to become academics are how to calculate a present discount of value and basic statistics. And outside of top programs, I don't see that students even learn to do those very well. Uh, now, you could also ask yourself, in real life, when do college grads use their knowledge of history or literature, foreign languages, right, or even higher mathematics? Uh, when, you know, so when, uh, there's actually been work on, out of all the people who studied higher mathematics, how many actually use it in their jobs? It's quite rare. So I think it's maybe only about 25% of the people who took the time to learn higher mathematics have jobs where, in fact, you need to know higher mathematics. Uh, now, the human capital model fails to explain some other blatant facts which I believe as people who probably have spent some time in college, you have noticed with your own two eyes. Uh, so first of all, the sheepskin effect. Like, almost everybody knows if you are a week away from graduation, then even if you must move heaven and earth to finish to get your final exams, you do it. Because otherwise, the labor market will hold it against you. And, like, and the other story is pretty hard to understand. So you, do you think that professors uh, you know, cram 70% of job skills into graduation year? Is that your story for why it is that 70% of the payoff comes from finishing senior year? That seems pretty hard to believe. In fact, the normal stereotype for senior year of both a college and high school in America is senior year is goof-off year. It's not that senior year is finally learned some job, some job skills here. So, uh, another thing that's kind of puzzling, uh, students seek out easy A. Students generally prefer professors who give, them, who give them high grades but don't teach them any useful skills, professors who give them low grades but do teach them useful skills. In the human capital model, this makes no sense. Look, go to the professor who teaches you how to do stuff. Who give you con who give you give you concrete abilities that will pay off in the real world? On the other hand, uh, you know someone would go to get some of these EAs because because employers don't know who the easy graders are. So if you have great if you have low grades in your report card, the fact that you actually learned a lot may still mean that you don't get an interview. 
Whereas you didn't learn a lot, you have good grades, you fake it through the interview, and then you learn as you actually, once you're actually on the job. Uh, much easier than uh, if you didn't get the job in the first place. Uh, another puzzle that uh, human capital has trouble explaining. Uh, students worry a lot about failing final exams, but not about forgetting what they learn. Uh, many people stress, they sweat bullets right before a final exam, and then they, uh, as soon as the final exam's over, they never think about the subject again. They don't worry, well, I was taught this thing, and employers are going to obviously want to see whether I remember my medieval history, so I better stay, I better stay fresh on this stuff. Right? Nobody says this. Right? Now, because you, what, you, what you really want to deliver to employers is a transcript that shows that you were able to jump through some impressive hoops. The fact that you've forgotten stuff that you're never going to use again, you don't care, employers don't care, it doesn't matter. Uh, something else that uh, is quite striking. Student, uh, so uh, students rejoice when professors cancel class. A common experience. You tell your students that I'm going to cancel class and they are happy. Uh, this is really odd on a human capital view because it's basically, look, we're going to go and give you some tuition to give us some job skills. You're going to keep the money and then you're not going to show up and we're happy. That is bizarre. You know, if you were paying some roofers to redo your roof and they said, you know what we're going to do today? We're going to go to the beach, we're going to keep your money and we're not going to fix your roof. How do you feel about that? I said, what? <laughs> that is my money. I demand that you provide the investments that, that I have paid for. Students do not have that attitude. Right? And I've noticed that my kids, who are very nervous about ever missing school, still are very happy on snow days. And I tried to not lead the witness. So why is that? Said, well, on a snow day, nobody goes to school. So the teacher didn't teach anything. So you're not at any disadvantage compared to anybody else. So it doesn't matter. Ha, so yes, they have independently figured out the signaling model. And or a last one that I find kind of funny. Uh, professors don't check IDs. If you go to your HMO, they want IDs now because they're concerned someone might try to get free healthcare. On the other hand, professors do not make any effort that I've ever seen to try to keep out non-paying students from attending classes. Now, on the human capital view, this is odd. Like, what, like, if you can simply move to Princeton and start attending Princeton classes to get the best education in the world for free, why, wouldn't, why would you ever pay tuition? Why would you even bother to do the whole college application process? Why not say, I want to go there? move there, and then attend classes. And in fact, if you, if you even tell the professor what you're doing, most professors get a little tear in their eye, like, you want to learn from me? This is the first time this has ever happened. Right? Uh, and yet, there is one little problem. You could spend four years go to doing free classes at Princeton, but at the end of that time, there is just one thing you won't have, a diploma. You won't have any record you were there. And how would the labor market treat you? Probably worse than if you actually got your diploma from George Mason. <laughs> Brian Kaplan is a professor of economics at George Mason University. You can watch the full forum at cato.org.